Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. more favor, who needs more blessing, who needs more breakthrough power, who needs uh, more finances, who needs more health in their lives, who needs better family relationships. All that God has planned, He's already laid out a pathway for you and I, and uh, that's uh, all part of Genesis 1-1, and the lesson on creation uh, and so today, as we uh, get into Genesis 1 and begin again the, uh, the Torah study for the year, I wanted to talk uh, about, and God was talking to me about this, and I'm going to talk to you about this as well. How many of you love your little chats with God? <laughs> Amen. Well, here's my chat with God uh, in sermon notes, and uh, I hope it's meaningful to you. Who's responsible for creating the abundant life? Who's responsible for creating the abundant life? And so that's our uh, message today, an early uh, morning intercessory prayer before we started the CD. Uh, we talked about Habakkuk 2.2. Write the vision, make it plain so you can run with it. And it will come to pass at an appointed time, even if it tarries, it will come to pass because God does not lie and the just will live by faith. Amen. And so uh, God has a vision for our life for this next year. It's a powerful vision. It's a good vision filled with hope, filled with promise, filled with blessing so that you can have a better life, a blessed life, and live the abundant life. But notice what Habakkuk 2.2 says, you write the vision. All right. Because you're going to run with it. And when you run with something in this context, that can take on many different forms. Right? You might have to learn more so you can earn more. (laughs) You might have to eat right so you can be healthy. I was thinking about that the other day when I was eating a quarter pounder with cheese and, and a large fry. Scott, you probably don't want more plaque in your arteries, so you might want to tap the brakes on uh, oily fries and uh, fast food stuff. All right, I know I'm uh, getting into areas that are quite touchy. <laughs> Don't you be messing with my BLTs. (laughs) But we've got to run with it. And so who's responsible for creating the abundant life? Uh, May tarry. Everything doesn't happen by Friday. And so we have to learn how to walk by faith and not by sight. The just shall live by faith. 
Amen. And so each day we wake up, we're fanning the flame of faith in our lives where we're looking beyond the natural circumstances, trusting God that His Word, His vision for our life, His promises for our lives, they are yes and amen, and we're doing our part to see that those things manifest. Who's responsible? For creating the abundant life. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead to give us resurrection power. He said it is finished. He's gone on to heaven and forever makes intercession for you. And what is he interceding for? Obviously he's interceding for many things to manifest. But that you would walk by faith, that you would have vision, that you would have faith and vision and patience and determination and a sense of diligence and loyalty that what God has promised and what He's uniquely given to each of us, everybody doesn't have the same vision, but that that will over time manifest itself in a better life, an abundant life. Amen? So as we... Uh, welcome in another year of Torah study. We're going to get into the Old Testament wisdom, the New Testament revelation, and show you how that applies to your life today. It's relevant. Don't believe the other crowd that uh, God is dead. Our God is not dead. He is alive. And His Word is alive and full of power. And our job is to write the vision, make it plain, and uh, be convinced that this is my calling, this is my divine assignment, this is what I'm pledging to do. I'm convinced, I'm persuaded, and no devil, no government, no antichrist is going to stop me from doing the will of God. Amen. Amen. All right, now I want to get fired up today. I've been very, very calm up until... No. (laughs) This is uh, what's being described in 2 Timothy 3.16. And uh, in 2 Timothy 3.16, this is from the Passion Translation, God has transmitted His very substance into every scripture. We'll talk about this some more. It's God-breathed, God-inspired. The Word from Genesis to Revelation is God-breathed, God-inspired. It will empower you by its instruction and correction. It will not only teach us, but if we're off course, it will correct our course. And obviously people don't want to be corrected. I've got a little one-year-old grandson that doesn't want to be corrected. It's important that you and I as grown adults uh, move beyond the toddler mentality. (laughs) And it's better if you self-correct rather than wait for someone to tell you you really missed it here. God, open the eyes of my heart. Help me to see some things in advance so that I'm not walking down the road blindly. I have a pathway that leads to life and blessing. I want that life and blessing, but if I keep erring in my ways, I'll never get there. 
So correct me and instruct me and give me the strength to take the right direction, it says. Oh my gosh, what a prayer. What a mindset. And then it will lead you deeper into paths of godliness. How many want to go deeper into paths of godliness? I see all your hands. Amen. That's what the Word of God does. It's God-breathed and God-inspired. And so don't let the devil tempt you or distract you from the importance of building a a strong foundation in the Word of God. Because, verse 17 says, then you'll be God's servant. Fully mature. Perfectly prepared. To fulfill any assignment God gives you. Hallelujah. What a promise. What a vision. I don't know what God's will is for my life. Start with 2 Timothy 3.16. And just, Father, help me manifest this in my life every day. And you'll be well on your way to living the abundant life. Amen. One of the root words for Torah, we're in the Torah study, one of the root words for Torah is yara. And it's an archery term. And it means to shoot straight. Are you a straight shooter? It means to hit the mark. And by extension, it means teacher, instructor, and uh, things of this nature. So what we have in Torah is a way for God to aim us. Why are you spending your time getting up early, coming to Torah study, or buying the CD and listening to it five times, or listening on the podcast over and over and over again? Because I want to hit the mark! (laughs) I don't want to go through life only to find out in heaven all the things I missed. Oh, this is what you could have had had you just hit the mark. Are we even thinking about the mark? Well, there is a mark of the prize of the high calling in Jesus Christ that we're aiming for. And along the way, let's have some fun. Let's, let's enjoy the journey. Let's hit some marks. Let's see uh, uh, that uh, the will of God is done all the time in our lives so that we can have the blessed life. Amen and amen. So we get into studying Torah. Let me just share this with you because it's, uh, people ask this from time to time. Where did the Torah portions, the parashah, come from? How did we get all of these weekly Torah portions? Ezra. Ezra, anybody heard of Ezra? Ezra and Nehemiah called out of exile, went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, had to defeat some enemies along the way, but they were building the kingdom of God. And in the great assembly with 120 of the elders way back in the 5th century B.C., uh, they had this meeting, this great assembly. And the great assembly is described in Ezra 7.10. It says, Ezra had his heart set on studying and practicing the Torah. Notice the twofold studying. I'm hearing it. I'm studying it. 
So I can what? Rightly divide it. Rightly apply it in my life. Ever heard of Reinhard Bonnke? <laughs> you know what, what we say about the gospel is like what? Soap. <laughs> it only works when it's applied. And so in studying and practicing the Torah, the teachings of Israel, for Israel, the laws, the rulings, the commandments, the principles, they came up with this schedule. Uh, that each week we'd study another portion, a Torah portion. And in reality, the Torah portion is a 6,000-year narrative of mankind uh, learning how to apply or reject God's divine principles. God has an abundant life. God has each of us, there is for each of us a successful life out there. Don't let the world try to tell you there ain't enough to go around and you're not the right this or that or the other thing, so you're out and you're, you're one of the have-nots, not one of the haves. We bind that in the name of Jesus. We loosen vision. We loosen favor. We loosen wisdom. We loosen creativity and all of these attributes in order order to go on and fulfill all that God's called us to do. So God gave Israel a moral framework, an ethical framework, a cultural framework, a legal framework. Want to be a law-abiding citizen? That's not a bad thing. Well, I wouldn't be studying no Torah stuff that old time. That's legal. We need to be law-abiding citizens. But, you know, there's a lot more to it than just uh, uh, legalistically following the principles. We need to follow them, the spirit of the law. Amen? And so, what God gave to Israel, God gave to you and I. It's one progressive story. There's a divine sequence from uh, Genesis to Revelation. It's now that Jesus came, he terminated and abolished everything. No, 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 no. Even he said that in Matthew 5. I didn't come to abolish this. I came to show you how to live it. Amen. Amen. The late great Rabbi Jonathan Sachs explains uh, in uh, The Law as Love. He did an essay called The Law as Love. He explains the Torah is more than just reveal legislation. God didn't just save Israel, bring them out of Egypt, take them to Mount Sinai, and then uh, legalistically give them legislation. He wasn't just laying down the law. Now, when it comes to that, as we were talking, we need some more law-abiding citizens in Congress and in the church in the sense of don't be shucking and jiving when it comes to what God says about living a moral life, right? There's boundaries. There's still forbidden things. Right? 
And just because some denomination says it's okay to, for people that don't live a moral lifestyle to be ordained as leaders in the church, I ain't buying that. And, and the church shouldn't be buying that. By, but, you know, not too many people are protesting it or the news doesn't want to cover it and word doesn't get out. But in your heart of hearts, you have to realize that, yes, God puts the law out there. Here's the boundaries, here's the standards, here's the guidelines. You need to follow those things to live a successful life. But there's more. And what God did with Israel through the Torah represents something even more. It represents that He trusted the Jewish people. So much so that He gave them the oracles of God. Isn't it amazing that God, when He revealed Himself, did reveal Himself through the Ten Commandments. He could have revealed Himself in a lot of ways to Israel after all those years in exile. But He entrusted them as overseers for creating a society that would become a home for His presence. Where is the Shekinah glory going to land? It's going to land on a nation, it's going to land on a people, a person, a family who respects the laws of God, who respects the divine principles of God and welcomes that in as the foundation for their life. This is why America is one nation under God, has been uh, the envy of the world and why the devil wants it destroyed. Let's, Let's remake it. In Israel, you had to have certain uh, qualifications to be uh, grafted in. You couldn't just, well, I'm going to be an Israelite. I'm going to be a Jew. Uh, No, you're going to be a Jew if. And America needs to remember that. Yeah, come to America if. You're willing to abide by the foundations that the founding fathers put in place. You know? Don't come here if you want to if you want to uh, uh, to make America into Cuba. <laughs> I don't need no Fidel Castro policies governing my life. How did that work for Cuba for the last sixty years? God bless Pitbull. <laughs> I don't know much about Pitbull. I, I couldn't name one song if my life depended. I'd name one song Pitbull ever did. I, I don't know. I think he did a Pepsi commercial once. <laughs> but Pitbull just said at one of his concerts, of course he used more colorful language than I can use today. He said, if you don't like America the way it is, then you need to find a new country. And then he went on from there, you can imagine. But he was from Cuba. And his family, he understands communism, Marxism, socialism, and the misery that it brings on the regular person. Castro wasn't living too bad. (laughs) So, thank God for the Jewish people. They became, and they had their troubles, but, you know, God's resurrecting them, and now you and I are, we need to carry on the vision. There's a way to do things in this world for a family or for a nation. 
And uh, we should govern ourselves by the divine principles that are in the Torah. Amen. Amen. So, uh, who's responsible for creating the abundant life? Who's responsible for all that? I want to get into that a little bit by going back to last year's lesson just for a moment. You might recall if you were here a year ago that we explored this uh, concept that God introduced at creation uh, and in the creation narrative. On the one hand, God created man from the dust of the earth. But on the other hand, he breathed into man the breath of life. He just didn't say, let there be man. He did something different. He said, let, me, let there be for everything else. But when it came to man, he brought together a combination of two unrelated and unequal substances. One is the breath of God. Amen. The other is the dust of the earth. And it's this combination of both that has an important meaning. If we can begin to understand the fusion of the two, it's a key to understanding why we were created and what our mission here on earth is all about. Being created from a physical substance, soil, speaks to the idea that God created man with the intention that he would grow into the image and likeness of God. And He breathed the breath of life into us to help us grow into that. Isn't that powerful? Each of us were created uniquely and specially with unlimited potential to be a living, breathing, faithful image of God on this earth. Amen? Amen? That's why when you see all this transgender stuff, this binary stuff, what are they trying to do? That's, that the devil is behind that trying to discredit Genesis 1. Male and female, he created them. How many genders are there? Male and female, he created them. But the point for us is that we have the life of God in us. It's been planted in us. But it's been planted in us like a seed in soil. And somebody has to be the one that cultivates and nurtures the growth of that seed. And so when we talk about uh, who's responsible for the abundant life, God has already paved the way. He's given us all these great and precious promises. What's our part? Our part is to apply the divine principles as best we can, learn them day in, day out, week in, week out, and do our best to make sure that's the foundation. We're a Bible-centered people. Amen. Amen. And we need to grow and mature, especially spiritually. 
especially the God breathed into my life when I got born again, especially I got a double dose of the Holy Ghost so I could go out and fulfill all that God has called me to do. One famous rabbi wrote, the most fundamental principle of all is that man must create himself. This is the idea that Judaism introduced into the world. God created man, but then he said, go out there and take care of business. I delegate to you dominion and authority to replenish the earth. Be fruitful and multiply in all of these areas. Another rabbi, Rabbi Weiss, said we must remember that the purpose of creation is not life on the level of surface reality. We are not just animals. We're not flesh creatures. Carnal little, greedy little, whiny little flesh creatures. I want it my way. Mine, 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 mine. Sound like a, a, a Disney movie. Finding Nemo. Mine, mine, mine. It's no coincidence that the name Adam means earth. Because he came from the soil. This is teaching us that we need to grow and produce a harvest, produce fruit in our lives. Spiritual fruit, moral fruit, physical fruit. Amen? And the fact is that in order to produce fruit, labor is involved. Fruit just doesn't happen. Weeds just happen. (laughs) Right? And so you and I have to realize that we won't produce anything good unless we're diligent to do it God's way. To do it. Just do it. And when it's all said and done, there's usually more said than done. And we don't want that in our lives. We want to be doers of the word. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Tending the garden. Now this just wasn't the garden my wife wants to put on the side of our house. (laughs) With, you know, 24 little boxes filled with a seed each. Now, we're talking about all of Israel and beyond. I mean, it's big boundaries, right? You tend all of that. All the animals, all the the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees. Tend it and watch over it. That's a full-time job. I never lived on a farm. I went out and helped on occasion growing up baling hay and doing other things, cleaning stables and other... It's hard work. Grandpa's up at, you know, 4 (laughs) a.m. Grandma's making breakfast and then they're off. They're off to the races before most people even wake up. Rabbi wrote another essay entitled Taking Responsibility. 
and he goes into focusing on the idea that God is showing us that from birth we must be responsible for creating and fulfilling our own destiny. If God has given you a vision, which he has, some of it is in seed form. Most of it's in seed form. You're responsible to take that and run with it. Amen. To cultivate it. To nurture it. To tend it. To watch over it. Oh, come on now. Amen. You mean I got to do something? I quit. <laughs> I knew this was a cult. I want to fulfill my destiny. And every breathing moment of our lives needs to come back around to this idea that we are not just here today, dead and buried, and there's nothing left. There is an eternity. We're going to be judged for what we did on this earth. We want to hear, well done. Well done. Oh gosh, you did good, Scott. My goodness gracious, you were just knocking it out of the park down there. Thank God he gave us his word. That I'll be there to help you. I'll empower you. I've given you promises that in each and every word of that promise, there's power in that, in that word to help you along your way. You've given us Jesus, given us the Holy Spirit, given us the fivefold ministry, the saints of God. What a support system. What's that support system there for? To help us climb the ladder of success. But if I don't get it by Friday, forget it. You, not, you might have to tarry. It might take a while. It took you three years to get into that mess. It might take you a couple years to get out of it. But I thought God was a genie. I thought we took our Bibles and then every night at bedtime we just rubbed our Bible and out popped genie God and he gave us three wishes. And my first wish is one million more wishes. It doesn't work that way. We have to labor, toil. But when we do it for God, that's okay. That's just part of developing our character, our work ethic. It's just part of how the world works. Nowadays, the Marxist crowd wants to give everybody everything. Everybody gets a $13 check. All that $3.5 trillion they want to pass in this one, they just passed, we forgot, just a few months ago they passed trillions. But anybody seen any of the trillions? Well, I got a couple thousand dollars in a stimulus check. How long is that going to last? You better not walk by faith in Uncle Sam. Because Uncle Sam, all of a sudden, Uncle Sam seems to be more like Cuba and Venezuela and all of these Marxist places. Originally, the land of the free and the home of the brave and one nation under God and God we trust was that each of us had a sense of rugged individualism. If it's to be, it's up to me. And now they're raising, I'm, I just have to sit home and collect a check. 
That ain't God's way. That isn't God's way. We're called to change the world and use our unique purpose, our unique calling, our unique divine assignments to accomplish that. And that takes some doing. But when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's what we got to think about that. Rabbi, Rabbi goes on and he explains a couple of the main stories in Genesis. The first Adam and Eve, the second on Cain and Abel. And he points out that one of the key takeaways uh, is that each is about a specific kind of failure. Okay, first Adam and Eve, we know this. Aided by the devil, the devil will always be there to help you screw things up. They disobey God's instructions and they sin. They miss the mark by a mile. And we've been paying for it ever since. They were ashamed. They hid. Only to discover you can't hide from God. And the Lord called to man, Where are you? And man answered, I was afraid, so I hid. Where are you? We'll get back to that. Both insist that it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It was that woman you gave me. No, it was the devil made me do it. The problem is, is that no matter what, where you wanted to assign blame, paradise was lost. They're exiled. Why? Because they denied personal responsibility. Right here, they're pointing, they're doing the blame game. They're basically saying, it wasn't me, it wasn't my fault. Yeah, it was your fault. Take responsibility. The second story, Cain and Abel, just as tragic. Uh, They're in the field, Genesis 4, Cain attacks his brother, kills him, and the Lord says to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know. You talking to me? Am I my brother's keeper? Notice Cain doesn't deny personal responsibility. He doesn't say it wasn't me, it wasn't my fault. But he denies any moral responsibility for anybody but himself. In effect, he, he's asking, why should I be concerned with the welfare of anybody but me? Me, myself, and I. And it's the beginning of the humanist philosophy, might makes right. We're seeing that right now with the COVID vaccines. There is no such thing as natural immunity. Huh? When did that happen? How is that the science? And now they're mandating everybody has to take a shot, whether you do or not. It's not up to you to decide what medicine you put in your body. It's up for the government to decide. And they have the might, and they say it's right, so it's going to happen. What Cain and Abel are going it's survival of the fittest. Cain thinks, I'm more powerful than Abel. I can whoop up on that guy. And so there's no reason for me to restrain myself. It's only about me. There's, I don't have any responsibility to society, 
to the ethics and the values in the bigger picture that, that God gave Adam and Eve. It's only what I want out of life that matters. And if Abel gets in my way, then <laughs> I'll show him a thing or two. So God includes these stories to show us the importance of cultivating our sense of accountability. Right? It's, we have, each of us need to cultivate a sense of personal and moral responsibility. It's as our worldview needs to be, I'm created by God, He is my Creator, and I'm here to learn and develop the guidelines and standards and principles that God lays out for me. That's my job. And it can only happen if we take responsibility. That's why we're born again. Well, I wasn't born that way. That's why you're born again. I wasn't, I wasn't born to do it that way. That's why you must be born again. A sign of wisdom and maturity is when you come to terms with this. I don't want to be a... I'll be 68 or 67. I lose count. <laughs> I don't want to know. It's just too much for me. I still feel 35. At the end of this month, it's a journey, it's a process, it's a growing process to come to the realization, Scott, be more responsible. Scott, understand that your decisions either bring more rewards and blessings, the abundant life, or your decisions bring negative consequences. Be not deceived. God shall not be mocked in this. Whatever Scott Sigmund sows, that and only that, the Amplified says, will he reap. So what I'm putting into it is what I'm going to get out of it. Hopefully I'm putting in all the right things. I'm creating a, a great recipe. Hopefully you're creating a great recipe. But this is one of the reasons where God asks Adam, where are you? In effect, he's asking Adam, where's your head at, man? Ever heard Joe Biden? He said, come on, man. (laughs) He got that from ESPN and the football stuff. Come on, man. What are you thinking? What are you doing? In a sense... It's a rhetorical question that God has been asking ever since the Garden of Eden. Where are you at? Scott, where are you at, Torah student? And he's calling out to Adam in this this sense to take some more responsibility. Be accountable. It's not a bad thing. It's the God way. It might not be the world's way. And so, we're cultivating a responsible life. Amen? It's not too late to get started. They say Grandma Moses painted her first painting at 80 years old. It's not too late to get started. Amen? When we're talking about cultivating a responsible life, what we're simply saying is that we're cultivating a life that responds to various challenges. I beg your pardon, I never promised you 
a rose. Well, there is a promise of a rose garden. But there is a devil who's trying to block the blessing and choke out the harvest. What are you going to do about that? Are you just going to sit back and let him beat up on you? Or are you going to rise up in prayer? Rise up in faith? Rise up with your uh, uh, Christian neighbor, your Christian prayer partner, and fight the good fight of faith? And having done all to fight the good fight of faith, you're going to keep fighting and fighting and fighting. I'll never give up. I'll never give up. I'll never give up. Responsibility is your response able. Your response able. Able to respond. Thank you God that you have equipped me to respond to every circumstance. And to overcome. That overcoming begins in your mind. It begins with the eye of faith. It begins with your speech. It begins with what you're focused on. And it, but it may take some time to unravel the cat's cradle of the mess you made. Right? And so in the process of trying to unkink the hose and un, uh, un, unravel this mess, this tangled mess, you know, people get flustered and frustrated because it doesn't happen quick enough. Amen. Write the vision. Make it plain. Run with the vision. And, and it will come to pass in a due season. So don't get weary. Stephen Covey, who wrote the successful Seven Habits book, makes some powerful points about responsibility. One thing he says is the key is taking responsibility and initiative. Deciding what your life is all about and prioritizing your life around the most important things. They're not going to teach that in school. Boy, uh, I, I don't want to face the day if my grandson gets a teacher that wants to teach my grandson might be a granddaughter. <laughs> to the moon, Alice! <laughs> but we're prioritizing our life, deciding about things in our life based on God-centered, Christ-centered, Bible-centered things. Our spiritual life. Right? Say amen. He said that we are the creative force. Right? God imparted that when He breathed into us. The breath of life. He breathed into us a creative force. And it's through our own decisions rather than our conditions. Right? Our decisions. If we carefully learn to do certain things, we can accomplish our purpose. The reason many people are in such a mess, they haven't learned to do it right. God, give us the wisdom. Give us the inspiration and the motivation to learn how to do it the right way. It might take some learning. If you think education is expensive, try ignorance. I've tried the ignorant part. Cultivating a proper understanding of God's divine principles and then applying them properly is the way to go. This is what we're talking about. The very first habit in Covey's uh, book is be proactive. Proactive. 
Out of those seven habits, he starts with be proactive. Take responsibility for your life. Stop blaming someone else and playing the victim. A proactive person doesn't blame circumstances, conditions, or genetics, or anything else for what's going on in their life. A responsible person says, I am not a product of my circumstances. I am a product of my decisions. And I make good decisions based on the Word of God. And if I don't fully understand what decision to make, I will ask somebody who is in the know. There is wisdom and safety in a multitude of qualified counselors. A responsible person lives by the, the, uh, uh, the, the code, 10% of life is what happens to me, 90% of life is how I respond. Amen. This is where all things work together for good comes into play. Everything doesn't work out perfect. Forrest Gump made a t-shirt, stuff happens. <laughs> or something like that. Don't be reactive to everything. Reactive people always blame someone else. Blaming others cultivates a victim mindset. And it reduces your potential. If you don't accept personal responsibility, you reduce the power, your power, to change them. You've got power. Wonder-working power through the blood of the Lamb. But if you're always never take and always blame, oh, it's my mom, it's my dad, it's the school system, it's the government, it's the this, it's the that, and you, it's the devil, and all these things go on, you're reducing the power to change that. And so you end up living in the very thing you don't want to live in. In effect, until you accept responsibility, you're permitting someone else to run your life. You're seceding the power to someone else who defines who you are. Not not in my house. I'm taking responsibility. How about you? So we can either accept conditions as they exist or accept the responsibility for changing them. And obviously we have a great comforter, a helper. We have the Holy Ghost and power. We have the word of the living God. It's alive and full of power. And, and all of these things. Now as we close, one final key to understanding Genesis and creation. Uh, and how it says, and God said. And God said, let there be light. And God said... What you say is a key in taking responsibility for your life and creating the abundant life that God has for you. One of the most important things you choose is what you say. Your language is a good indicator of how you see yourself and what you think is possible. If a man says he can't, if a man says he can't, he's right. So a proactive person always says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Amen. 
A proactive person always says, Father, thank you that you want me in health. You give me divine health and prosperity as my soul prospers. Help me develop a prosperous soul, Lord. Hebrews 11 says, God framed the world through the power of His words. He breathed into us the breath of life so that we could do the same, that we could frame our world through the power of our words. So, as we get into this year's Torah study, let's take responsibility for our spiritual life, our personal life, our family life, our health life, our financial life, and pray and believe God for an outpouring of wisdom and guidance and counsel and direction. And all of a sudden, we'll be able to say, you know what? This year has been getting better and better and better and better. It'll happen in increments, but it will happen. Amen. Who receives that this morning? Amen. Say amen. Give the Lord a big praise.